special edition of Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP. We are here today to talk about working remotely, or more specifically, working from home. We are calling it Remote Work, a Paradigm Shift in Real Time. We have nine guidelines that we've developed almost three years ago with the help of students from the University of Cincinnati to drive our conversation. But we recognize that we have found ourselves and most of the world in a forced social experiment in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our conversation will test the nine guidelines with some of our own experiences and layer in the first stage of design thinking, empathy. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, and I'm going to allow our guests to introduce themselves. Dominic, would you go first? Hi, this is Dominic Iacobucci. I'm a partner of Workplace Strategist and Architect at BHCP Architecture. And Drew? Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Dominic. It's probably clear from the intros that we're all sitting in different locations, which has become the new normal. Drew Susco, I lead our strategy and analytics practice at BHCP. I'm an architect and I'm focused on workplace. What's interesting to me today, kind of kicking things off, is you know, we're not healthcare professionals or policy experts or even social scientists, and, and we don't pretend to be. But we're here to have a practical conversation on a topic where we are very experienced, which is workplace, which has shifted. Whereas workplace before was certainly a collection of places where we would go to work, that has come home to roost. And many of us are now working from home, but still trying to manage our businesses from a very new reality. So I'm excited to join you guys today to talk about that reality. Yeah. And Dominic, you wanted to give a little more context around why we're here and what the intent is today. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be talking to you all from my little office slash playroom that is absolutely a mess currently. You know, I think, Brian, this is the first conversation of many, and it's a great place to start by looking back at work that we did three years ago and saying what's relevant and what's not relevant in this dialogue. And while it's starting to create the framework for where we go from here, it is also laying the foundation of what we're talking about when it's all said and done is work. And place and technology both are tools that help us in that world. But as we go through this, ultimately, what we have to do is we have to figure out how we collaborate and how we accomplish tasks. And I think our goal as we continue this dialogue and we all experiment, we all fail together and succeed together, is to continue to give people insight and information, but then also eventually give creative recommendations on what they could do to adapt in this ever-changing world. That's really great, Dominic. Thanks. The first thing I want to do is we talk about these nine guidelines that were developed about three years ago, and I just want to go through all nine of them first, and then we're going to go through each one and kind of beat them up a little bit. The first one is, number one, ask when virtual is and is not effective. It's about roles and who are the right people to work remotely. Two, have office-wide core working hours, and we'll dig in on that a little bit. Three, require greater use of communication tools. Four, have strict separation between work and personal accounts. That one seems to be even more relevant now, but five, establish a virtual workplace. Six, monitor work output. That's about managing to that remote team. Seven, get employees together for work sometimes. Mm -hmm. Eight, decide if certain employees should be on call. And nine, require new employees to work in the office. So those are the nine guidelines that we've kind of used as a template because Drew and I actually did work remotely for BHDP for significant portions of time. I was half of the year in New Jersey for about five years, and Drew was in Manchester, England for the better part of, was it two going on three years? How long was that, Drew? 
Yeah, it was two years. And and oddly enough, two. I mean, we're joined by Dominic today, and Dominic worked for I think well over a year from from London, England. So all three yeah, yeah, experience had, working for an organization remotely. Yeah, I had two years in London plus seven months in Germany. So yeah, we can all relate right. to not being in the office and what the impact of that is on psyche. Absolutely. Yeah. So those were the nine, and we want to drive back through that with our experiences and try and relate them to what is actually happening now with people being forced to work from home and not having a choice. And now they're doing it with the complexity of their families being there and the dogs and the cats and all the other fun things. So the first one is app when virtual is and is not effective. The relevance of that seems to be shot right in the foot. Either one of you want to take that on? In, you maybe I'll start on that. Go ahead, Drew. There we go. And now we're having one of the first challenges of all doing this remotely. So it's interesting, ask when virtual is and is not effective. I think the old paradigm used to be that remote work was a component of a broader workplace strategy. And not just that you would have remote workers and workers that would work from an office or from a series of offices. But speaking more broadly, right, it, it used to be an option and today it is not an option. Today it's become the norm as opposed to a component of work. And so this one is really challenging for me sitting here today, separate from all of you, because there are things that would certainly be more effective if we were together, including this conversation, quite frankly, because we've had a series of these together and being able to look you in the eye and, and pass the ball and use our body language, which is a significant component of how we communicate, is, is hindered to some degree by not being in the same place. So I'm like, I don't know if you want to build on that. Yeah, thanks, Drew. And what everyone just experienced right there was us dealing with technology latency. So while we've got video and we can see each other and we've got sound and we can hear each other, the stuff doesn't all sync, which is one of the challenges. When this number one was originally created, it was about a piece of a workplace strategy, whether you work home or not work at home. And I think Drew is exactly right. I think the interesting thing about it now, though, if we start to think about it, is when we're thinking about technology or we're thinking about how we're working as virtual teams, what is effective and not effective in the current environment? When do people need to be on a call? When do they not need to be a call? When does video make a difference and not make a difference? How do you collaborate versus participate in a debriefing type thing? When it was created, it had a much different meaning. But I think as we take it forward, we need to say, well, what is virtual? Is virtual purely us communicating? And now that we have video, that's no longer virtual? Or is it something else? And, and how does that change the dynamic of what we decide to do when? So, Dominic, it sounds like to me it's about intentionality now, having to be very self-aware about what we're trying to accomplish individually, collectively, and trying to use the tools we have at our disposal to get things done in the best way possible, which certainly was true before, but it becomes top of mind when tried and true methods get tested. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's about intentionality and it's about defining success. And then even more in our world right now, it's about determining what does actual work look like because we still have a lot of people that, that are very fearful if they don't see people or if they're not interacting with them real time that those people aren't working. And in the heavy meeting culture that we have within the world, that, that's still the case. And I think we're seeing actually meetings increase versus decrease with the situation. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, and I want to allude to that when we get to number three. Actually, I can talk about it now because one of the things that I learned when I was working remotely 
is that concept of out of sight, out of mind, you start feeling less and less like part of the team. So that sense of belonging, you have to become good at self-promotion. And I had to learn how to do that for work because the inverse proportion theory is the more you're away, the more contact you need to feel like part of the team. And it also helps with accountability and maintaining that trust. And that trust is essential for delivering results. I don't know if you guys had similar experiences when you were away out of the country. How did you keep that contact going? Yeah, I'll jump on that one first, Brian. I think you're certainly right. I mean, out of sight, out of mind, I think is what you said. And that is definitely true. You know, Dominic, you mentioned, especially folks, and I don't know if you heard in the background, my dog just barked because someone came to the door, (laughs) which brings up a separate issue that we'll touch on further down the list. But folks that are managing others used to be in in the old world and, you know, not two days ago, but, you know, two years ago, 20 years ago, that seeing people work was evidence that they were being productive. A lot of the conversation has shifted even around productivity of late to is productivity accomplishing tasks or is productivity about stepwise breakthroughs. Even to reframe things with respect to this first one about, you know, if you are not there, are you actually doing doing work is is an interesting question to ask. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's very true. And I think what people will be kind of wrestling with is they've always been used to having set time frames that they're working. In this type of environment, and for anyone that's actually worked remotely, they they understand this. While you have set time frames that you need to communicate with people, you also have the freedom of thinking of when you want to focus. And that kind of brings us to a natural segue to the number two, which is the having the office-wide core working hours. And I know with you guys both having been in different time zones, how did you navigate the being available but not necessarily being focused on work? So in Manchester, UK, working with the East Coast, which is primarily where my team was and also most of my clients, there's a five-hour shift. So my afternoons were the mornings in the U.S., so my afternoons in the U.K. were the mornings. You know, a five-hour shift is a pretty nice shift, to be honest with you, because for me personally, it gave mornings to independent work and afternoons for catching up with team. But the reality is, especially when you're working outside of core hours, things happen. And I would find myself in the evenings in Manchester under the cover of darkness, or if you've ever been to Northern England, sometimes in the early afternoon in the cover of darkness, working <laughs> with people. So and I don't think that this has necessarily changed as a result of the current crisis. Work is happening all the time. I think we do need to be very respectful of others given the current condition, because sitting here today, I mentioned my dog barking before, but I don't have kids running around. And a lot of other people do. So it becomes very challenging to isolate those two re- very real responsibilities from one another. I don't know, Dominic, if you want to build on that, you were joking earlier about the playroom and the office, literally in the same room. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is when we did this research, the core of office-wide core working hours was this concept of knowing when your team is accessible and being accessible to them, realizing that there is such a thing as spontaneous collaboration. And how do you allow spontaneous collaboration to occur without being a disruption to your personal life or to catch you at an inconvenient moment where, like, let's say, for Drew's instance and my instance, we were anywhere from five to seven hours different than the U.S., you could be out with friends in the evening or, or something of that nature. Now, I think in the current environment, the, the way to rethink this conversation is have a mutual respect and understanding of what is acceptable in terms of hours. Because there are many people like myself, and we're currently based in Ohio, all of our schools are closed for the next month and a half. 
Anyone that has a school-age kid has them at home. And then on top of that, they're expected to educate their kids. So how do you do that and how do you manage that? especially when schools are asking kids to get on Zoom calls and have papers turned in by certain times or have online tests at certain times. It's a, it's a much more dynamic thing. So the key is having enough respect for your team to have a dialogue of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and when is it okay for us to try and have that spontaneous collaboration, recognizing that we're not all going to be working at the same time and that we do rely on each other sometimes to get over um, humps or get over blocks in our workflows. And with that, if you have those dialogues and that openness, it helps you be successful. And now, while that works really well for internal teams, there still is the challenge of working with external teams, and that's not as balanced. So core working hours from a societal standpoint, still something that people have to acknowledge. That brings us to number three, they require greater use of communication tools. I think it's interesting that right now we're recording this through Skype, but we're also on Teams so we can see each other's faces to keep that level of connection. What other tools have you seen used effectively? I think you're right, Brian. I mean, the interesting thing between all of our experiences in different locations is we didn't have a tool like Teams or Slack that allowed for collaboration at a different level to be both spontaneous and scheduled all at the same time and build on each other. So that's a great asset for any company out there that's looking for something. They should really explore that type of thing that allows for uh, different layers of communication. I've noticed that text messaging is increasing. I don't see that decreasing in the coming weeks because everyone knows that we're all under certain challenges. So people aren't necessarily expecting stuff immediately, and they're not expecting stuff to be quiet, like a kid disrupting you or a dog not barking. So they kind of want to be like, hey, I need to connect, but let's connect when it's convenient for both of us, and we just got to both be flexible. So those tools are out there. The interesting thing about all this, right, is when we think about this stuff, it is the emails, it is the text, it is whatever else. I don't have a good answer for the emails, Brian, and you know, Drew, be interested in your thoughts on this, but I have noticed that emails have increased because people have more time because they can't go out and watch a sporting event or interact with <laughs> the arts. They've also become more verbose. So how do you manage that? The other piece that I've seen as a true challenge from a collaboration standpoint is co-creation drawing on the same piece of paper or sharing ideas in an analog way that people are used to doing in conference rooms and on whiteboards and doing it in a way that multiple people can pick up the marker all at once. I mean, we, we have ways where you can show mine and then show yours. That's a pain point. And then even being able to look at two digital content pieces at once is some challenge out there that we haven't solved yet. But I think these types of problems, Brian, are a perfect example of some of the stuff that we want to ideate and try and figure out if we can solve for ourselves and for others that we hope to share later on. Yeah. I think that last point, Dominic, is really interesting. In our world, certainly, right, especially in the creative profession, oftentimes we are explaining ourselves through drawings, through diagrams, through quick sketches. We're building our deliverables for our clients tend to also be communicated diagrammatically. And that's a big challenge for us right now. There's not necessarily a good or preferred solution there. That being said, I'm seeing certainly over the last couple of days more people asking for my personal cell phone number. Hey, can I give you a quick call? Hey, I'd like to shoot you a text when I'm available. The volume and velocity of communication has certainly picked up, which I think reinforces requiring greater use of communication tools. 
Um, with respect to email, I mean, one of the things I find kind of interesting is email has been the dominant communication tool for all professions, generally speaking, for the last 15 years. And it's only over the course of the last two or three that Slack and Teams have really started to pick up. Both of those different platforms have their own benefits. Email is good for codifying something and communicating clearly versus Slack and Teams where you want to communicate together collectively and it's really a, a thread of communication or even a place where you are capturing and collectivizing information, which goes back to what's the best tool for the job at hand. Texts are great for, hey, I just had an idea or, hey, I need you quickly. They're great for asynchronous communication or trying to break out of asynchronous communication if it's a 911 text. But I think what we're seeing across the board, at least my personal experience over the course of the last week or so, is that there is the beginning of an erosion between personal and work accounts where <laughs> my cell phone, right, which, you know, I, I do have clients that text me on my cell phone or people I work with who call me directly on my cell phone, certainly. But those spaces are beginning to blend as we spend more time at home and as the tools that we use for our own personal communication, we realize that they are as useful for business communication as the business tools that we have. So, you know, in, in collaborating, Dominic, with teams, not the software, but with, with other individuals and, and co-creation, do you have any quick thoughts on how to do that best? I think the best tip that I have for that one right now is patience. Patience and recognizing the challenges that exist. I know that our teams will be working very hard to figure out ways to do virtual post it notes, to do a co-creation of whiteboarding and all that type of stuff. And I, there's multiple different softwares out there that we've even tried in the past. But the reality is, is when you look at that type of work, that work, unless it's an offsite, and it's a specific brainstorming session, that work is very, very spontaneous. And for it to be effective, it needs to be spontaneous, and it needs to have the ability to quickly add people that weren't part of the original dialogue. I don't know what that is yet. I don't know how we're going to do that, and I don't know how we're going to manage that. I think if we're using the software for scheduled co-creation sessions or brainstorms or ideation things, I mean, that's a little easier problem statement. But it's going to be interesting. Now, with that, as you were talking about emails and stuff and the blurring of, of kind of personal and work life, and that's actually number four, having a strict separation between work and personal accounts. I'm going to kind of transition it, Brian. I think that those coming together are going to continue to happen. People are going to be using personal devices and personal things to do work. But with that, I wouldn't be surprised if coming out of this, the way that we look at email totally changes and it starts to disappear a little bit. Just because we find that it isn't a motive way to communicate and it isn't a way to actually create personal connection and it's more contractual in nature. And as we get deeper into this separation, people are going to be looking for those small things like emojis and, and gifts mm -hmm. and, and just ways to express themselves and connect on a level that isn't not personal. It'll be very intriguing to see what happens there and how we we all kind of bind together to go through the same storm and connect and, and make sure that we know that we're not doing it on their own. Now, with the whole concept of the connecting of the personal and work, work life, the one thing that we've noticed so far is because you've got more time and because you have more ways you connect and you're willing to start earlier, start later, or blur those lines, uh, technically right now people are spending not enough time for themselves.
especially the ones that have to do education and stuff on top of that, right? Like have these other demands on them or they've got more caring for their parents or whatever their, mm-hmm. their personal situation may be. It'll be interesting how that weighs on people in the coming weeks, but I would recommend that people ensure that they take time just to decompress and release and disconnect. That's a great point. And a lot of what we're seeing kind of being shared via social media right now gets right at that, Dominic, which is to say, you know, take time for mental health, take time for physical health, get outside, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, still being recommended for people. So I I love the idea of reinforcing there that because we are using our homes for work, there is a real serious risk here that the day will not ever end. (laughs) Brian, I think you know that I'm an economist at heart. And I, I was reading something recently about a guy named Adam Smith, who's like, the economist, economist. So Adam Smith was the guy who basically started the study of economics. He was a huge proponent for free trade. Back in the day when Adam Smith was writing, which is in the 1780s, you know, 18th century, England would essentially have high tariffs on agricultural manufacturing. And so what that amounted to was England was trying to protect farmers. And so there were really, really large tariffs on importing, say, grain from France. But if, if England was having a really bad year, they would lower the tariffs and allow the English markets to import grain from France. And so they would essentially change the rules during lean times. And it got me thinking about today because a strict separation essentially means that you're reinforcing sometimes inefficiencies. And so it's interesting to see people start to shift behavior and start to use some of the tools that they're used to using in their personal lives and apply them to workplace, which means that one of the things that might happen as an end result of whatever period of time we're living through today, in my mind, will be again, the increased consumerization of tools with respect to work and and also potentially things that we're using in our personal lives like computer games, like VR, like AR, you know, those becoming really viable potentially um, solutions for workplace problems. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to explain it. And if you're working with a team and you're faced with, hey, how do I pull someone in quickly? And you've got a, a tool for doing that from your personal life. You're like, hey, it's right over here. You know, it's in my... Like, can I invite you to Xbox? Do you have one at home? Can you create a profile? Whatever, we can solve this problem. I mean, that might things like that might emerge naturally here. There will be new tools that emerge as a result of this period of time because people are being forced mm-hmm. to innovate in real time. And that's fascinating because one of the things we do, you guys both alluded to it, we do a lot of ideating with clients where it's real time in the room and spontaneous, like Dominic said. But you know, we're trying to see, are we able to do some of those sessions virtually and while it would be cool to do it virtually, ideally it's still in person. However, from this necessity, we may create digital tools that will make that interaction easier once we are in person too because we can digitize some of the back-end process and we can smooth out some of the slow parts of when we do a cultural assessment of an organization. There might be a permanent digital tool that comes out as a result of this that allows us to do that real-time in a room with them but still digitally. Got me thinking, though, I'm, I'm going to try to move us along, too. You know, I'm looking at the two of you in your own home workplaces right now, and I know that mm-hmm. step five is establish a virtual workplace. Do you guys want to build on what that means, given the current reality? I think it's an interesting one, because it's one that was on the list originally, and it was one that kind of made it sound like you have to have a specific place, a home office, a designation of the location. I can wholeheartedly say that for the last week, I have no place in my house, (laughs) and my place is really being flexible and being adaptable, and 
willing to change rooms based off of the needs of my wife and her managing her work, based off of my kids needing changes in their environments, based off of loudness of things that are going on outside, be it a TV or dogs barking. I think where this one comes to have more meaning to me is it's not about physical place, it's about comfort and just Mm -hmm. recognizing when you can be comfortable and when you can dial in to being focused on what you're doing in a way that works for you. And it's going to be different for every person, but it's definitely not a old school, make sure you have your desk and make sure you have your tchotchkes on the table and all that, at least my personal perspective. Yeah. And for me, I, I don't have an office in my house and I never have. I've worked from home a lot. When I was in New Jersey, I had an office, but now that I'm back in Ohio, I don't, I'm in my living room. And I was not prepared to make this my long-term office, so I'm going to have to make some adjustments. Now, as far as infrastructure goes to create the virtual workplace, BHDP provided me with a laptop. Now, the cell phone is mine, but I've used it for work. But also, even in the virtual workplace, to tie it back to the core hours, one of the things that I got used to doing was, even though I was remote, I also established a routine for myself, which is easier for me than it's going to be for most people because my kids are grown. And I know that Samantha in our office, just one person, she has a very active toddler that now she's suddenly at home with all the time trying to do a curriculum with them and then still having to do eight hours of work every day. Suddenly her day got longer. I have a lot of empathy for people who are going through that. I've had three video calls in the last two days where somebody had a toddler sitting on their lap. It gives you a sense for your shared humanity, mm-hmm. which is to say we're all, we're all people, right? And we all have a lot of stuff on our plate. But I mean, even getting a portal into someone's personal world helps you understand who they are and what they care about and even potentially connect with them on a more emotional level. It's interesting coming through a, a crisis period. Oftentimes, teams report a stronger sense of bonding and a stronger sense of togetherness because they're forced to check their baggage at the door and just acknowledge that it's all there. And that might also mm-hmm. be a positive outcome of this experience. Dominic, I love what you said where you said, I have no place, but then you rattled off a series of spaces that you found to be productive given what you're trying to accomplish. And oftentimes I've heard I've heard you describe activity-based working by drawing an analogy to a house. We oftentimes will say, well, you know, you don't own your room at a house. You go to a living room, you go to the kitchen, you go to the basement, you go outside. So it's interesting to hear you kind of describe I just place, but then reference all these different places. And I'm curious where you've found yourself working or how you've been tailoring your own house to your your rotating needs. It it is interesting, right? It's a byproduct of what we've all kind of experienced in the workplace in terms of two objects. One is what is the actual space and what does it offer me for what I need to do? Be it quiet or the comfortable chair or the, the right amount of surface space, whatever the case may be. And second, what is every other person around me doing? And and how do I balance those two things to make the decision that's right for me, given the amount of time that I need to do the task that I'm focusing on? I can officially say that I've worked in every room in my house except for my kids' bedrooms at this point and, and bathrooms. I have not worked in bathrooms. But, but, Nor should you. But yeah. kitchen, living room, office, basement, even going out to the garage at one point, like all have been all have been valid. A walking meeting is definitely in play. But, you know, I've, I've got a uniqueness that I've got a laptop that's good for me. I've got a digital pen to write on it, which is good for me. I don't need printers. I don't need scanners. I don't need copiers. I don't need any of that stuff. Give me a phone. Give me a computer, and I can do my job. 
not everyone's going to have the same capabilities that I have in that regard. So the key to this, I think, is everyone figuring out what they need and what works best for them. But in a home environment, I think they also have to, to realize that they need to be flexible and it may not be a silver bullet of one space meets all the needs. Sure. So the number six one on the list is monitor work output. So let's talk about monitoring work output right now, especially in a remote team like we're doing. What are some of the strategies to manage productivity and then progress within a remote team? You know, the interesting thing about this one is that this is a pain point for all companies. So I'm really looking forward to people actually solving this one. The proxy for work output has always been physical presence. At this point in time, since you can't have physical presence, people are going to have to really look at what are people producing and what's the value of it. And it goes to the point that Drew brought up earlier. Is it a aha idea or is it a amount of, of work or something, right? The key in this environment to monitoring it is just lots of communication and clear expectations of what success looks like. If you can do those two things, you can be successful and you can have a grasp on what your team is doing. And that's where multiple facets of communication and then having a shared location that people are working off becomes a high value asset. So it's not always asking someone, what did you do? But you can go check in on it and you can help collaborate on it and you can be a part of it, which there's several uh, co-creation solutions out there that are very successful, be it if you use Google Office products or Microsoft Office products or some of the other pieces in between that. Now, I do know that there's software that I've seen other companies use for projects. It's like a project management software where somebody will go, these are the 10 things that need to happen to deliver this project. And um, team members can go in and go, I'm going to work on this. And there's like a status bar, you know, the green, yellow, red. And, you know, if it's yellow, they've checked it out. If it's green, it's done. And if it's red, nobody's claimed it. It needs to be done. So there's ways for people, distributed teams, just go in and grab their tasks. But that kind of alludes to gamification, which is something we've talked about before. I picked this item, and I'm going to go do that. With it is, Brian, that's Agile Workflow that most technology yeah. companies are using. And there's several different softwares to manage that. And I would say that I would think that people will increase on doing that. The piece about that is it'll be interesting to see how they do their virtual scrums and their all their rituals to continue to do that. And because they've always worked that way, I think that they'll still be very successful and this is not even something they'll feel. I'm not sure that that type of mechanism translates to all organizations because they're really dialed in. And when they're hammering those tasks, those tasks are two to three hour tasks. Most companies don't have enough time built into their business systems or management protocols to allow for that level of oversight. Maybe they will coming out of this, but they don't currently today. Yeah, I'd agree with that. When the work can be chunked into component items, I think that process works really well. It's interesting, Dominic, you mentioned agile teams. A lot of the recommendations that we've been giving to folks over the course of the last couple of years, right, is model agile teams and, you know, the future looks like this. But this is a, an opportunity for folks to test some of those strategies for themselves some of those strategies work when the, the output is clear, when the items are clear, when it's clear who, who should be responsible, and when there's a regular cadence of work. Those strategies are less effective or, or will prove to be less effective when you have organizations where people are working on lots of different things simultaneously and asynchronous, you know, asynchronously. Mm -hmm. 
which is certainly true of our world, but will also be true of lots of other other people who are who are listening into this. So if you've got 10 projects going on at a time, you can't have 10 project stand-ups every single morning or even every single week, potentially, to keep things moving along. So how do you know that people are being productive and how do you keep track of that when you can't go over and just check in on them? There's a huge diversity of work out there. I mean, that's a really challenging one to take on, certainly. And we could probably record a three podcast series on what productivity means. But from a strategic level, it comes back to my mind to intentionality, not just with how you spend your time and how you communicate, but also with how you're encouraging others to spend their time. So intentionality and, and communication, I think, are the two keys here so that people are being productive to the right end, as opposed to what we described earlier, which is, hey, I'm staying real busy. I'm sending really long emails. <laughs> are you being effective or are you becoming a distraction? Are you filling the time or are you making the most of the time? But the real challenge is going to be to make sure that everyone understands what their role is and how they contribute best and the shared purpose. It's almost about leadership as opposed to management. Sure. So we're on number seven, which is get employees together for work sometimes. That's also challenging because when you don't have a physical space to go to at present. So what are you thinking, Dominic? Yeah, I think what I was going to build on, and, and and I'll kind of get into that number seven here in a second, but when you talk about that monitor work output and you talk about getting the new employee engaged, the reality that we all need to address and we need to let sink in is that people have a different amount of anxiety and stress with a certain situation that's going on. And with that, the biggest fears that employees have is that their employer is not going to think that they're working is not going to think that what they're doing is valuable and and is going to forget about them and eventually potentially lay them off. Economy is downturning. Whether people are willing to say it or not, it's in the back of their head. On the same side and the other side of the coin, the fear that it's coming from leadership in a lot of companies is that, that people are at home and they're just playing around and they're not actually working. The reason I bring this up is I think that with all of these points where we're kind of talking into it in in more of a leadership aspect, the reality is is that this is on everyone equally to communicate up and to communicate down. And when you talk about really getting employees together and working, what you're really trying to do is create a connection between the whole team in a way that people continue to do that spontaneous communication up and down that you get within the physical environment that you have to actually work for now. It's not going to be one of these things where the boss just walks by and you can tell them that you need something else to do or vice versa, that the boss just walks by and can give feedback to the employee based off of something that just happened. So it's got to be more uh, deliberate. And with this, the, the get employees together is really about setting up a rhythm to communication and allowing that communication to be work specific, but also allow that communication to allow for uh, some release and allow for people to create that collaboration and that knowingness and know that they're not alone. And one of the things that I've actually noticed over the last week is people creating different group text chains, just talking about the different issues and different things that are going on in the world, which helps to continue to create teams but also has been interesting is depending on who's starting them, it's creating different collaboration, different teams and different connections that are, that it's there deeper than what they may be in the office. And the key to that is if you get in on that, make sure you engage. 
because it's important not only for you and everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, That's Dominic, great. I think you're starting to mention the social you know, dimension of work, right? Work isn't just getting things done. Work's also getting things done with others and building relationships. And one of the pieces I think that is potentially at real risk for organizations is losing that sense of culture, losing that sense of connectedness to a larger organization, especially with you know folks working independently and go, to go back to out of sight, out of mind, right? When people are not there, they are not seen. And when they are not seen, sometimes they are forgotten about. The people who are naturally more outgoing, outspoken, I think will suffer from being cooped up and will intentionally or otherwise reach out to others, but there's other people will, will not do that. One of the things I think is most exciting is kind of seeing come through the chatter, et cetera, is like people trying to maintain old habits and old rituals for their teams, which is really cool. If it's morning coffee or afternoon tea or happy hour or, you know, just something to like put a smile on people's faces, I think is, is really, really compelling, honestly, because, you know, this sucks, but not get the world one and two, you know, it's an opportunity for some levity and for some self-reflection. I would hope that one of the outputs of this would be a, one, a shared understanding of where and how we're getting things done individually in our own homes um, and the human component of that, but, you know, two, also a shared experience, which is the foundation for, for any high-performing team. Sure. So number eight, decide if certain employees should be on call. And number nine, require new employees to work in the office. That's a moot point at present in our current situation. I think, Brian, if I could interject, I think nine is relevant, not in the sense of new employees reporting, but yes, in the sense of less experienced employees knowing what to do. For those of us that are highly utilized, that have a lot on our plates, we are not going to suffer a lack of things to put our attention to. But for those employees who are either less experienced or who are new to an organization, they don't know the ins and outs. And quite frankly, they're not part of the, the well-laid path of working towards a solution, right? So they're not going to be a, a trusted resource. So I think understanding that newer employees or less experienced employees are in a different boat is actually a pretty important component of finding our way through this together. I don't know what your thoughts are, Dominic. No, I agree with you. When you reframe that question in that way, and it's less about onboarding yeah, um, and more about just recognizing different skills and talents and uh, situations that people are in, I think it's a very valid point. And it's something that people should be mindful of as you try and keep your teams integrated and engaged. There's going to be people on your team that you need to spend more time with than others, and that's okay. And that's not a byproduct of them doing any worse work. It's just everyone's got different needs and different help that requires them to be successful. So we were hoping to hit this quickly, but it turns out it's a much more robust conversation even amongst the three of us than we thought. So I just want to say thank you, Drew and Dominic, for this conversation now. But I want to say thank you for listening to the special edition of Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP on remote work, a paradigm shift in real time with Dominic Yakabuchi and Drew Susco of BHDP. We want to hear your feedback or input on this particular topic as it impacts a significant portion of the population. So please email us at trendsandtensions at bhdp.com with any lessons you may have learned, pain points, or suggestions so we can make this an ongoing learning and conversation. We want to integrate a little more design thinking. We're going to start with empathy, but we also want to ideate 
and we want to test it and learn and keep going. If you like what you've heard, please like, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm your host, Brian Trainer. We hope you have a productive day.